God is telling a story. And he wants you to be a hero in his story. This is why he gives us the Bible that is 75% stories about heroes and villains. God wants me to learn from these stories. He wants me to learn by example how to be a hero. With this in mind, let's look at a hero named Job. Uh, please turn your Bible or your device to the book of Job, uh, chapter 1. Job is the book that comes right before the book of Psalms. The book of Job uh, begins with the information that Job lived a life of complete faithfulness to God and that God blessed him in every way, but then one day Job's whole world collapsed. It's recorded in Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens, burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job's trial came out of the blue. In one day, Job went from financial security to financial ruin. Job went from being a joyful father to a father who was burying his children. This was a financial crisis. This was a family crisis. And this was a faith crisis. Job loved and trusted God. But he did that while everything was good. But how about now? When Job has the worst day of his life. Sure, when God blessed him with children, Job was the first in line to praise God. Sure, when God showered him with abundance, Job was full of gratitude to God. But how about now? How's Job going to respond now that God has allowed everything to be taken from him? Would he respond to God with anger and bitterness and complaining or a get-out-of-my-life God attitude? There were a hundred different ways Job could have responded to God in the midst of his faith crisis, but... Scripture tells us how Job did choose to respond. It's in verse 20. In response to all these reports, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground to worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What? A response. Job related to God in a time of pain in the same way that he related to God in times of plenty. Job experienced triumph over trials. And God wants me to learn from him how to be a hero in his story. Maybe you're in the middle of a hard time right now. Or maybe your trial is right around the next corner. Either way, let's learn from both the hero and the villains of this book of Job. First, notice a hero is honest about suffering. 
Uh, Note in verse 20 that Job's first reaction to the news of his loss was an honest expression of pain. Job tore his robe and shaved his head. This is an important phrase because it demonstrates that in God's eyes, it is not heroic to react to suffering with denial. Uh, Being a hero in God's eyes is not pretending that pain doesn't hurt. It's not pretending that loss doesn't matter. It's not covering up heartache with lots of praise the Lord's and uh, phony optimism. No, Job's robe tearing and head shaving was an honest expression of pain to everyone, including an expression of pain to God. And if you read the rest of the book of Job, you'll hear how Job cries out to God with unvarnished disappointment, anger, personal regret, and spiritual confusion. Most importantly, Job shows that in in the midst of pain, a hero in God's eyes does not give God the silent treatment. So when you go through something really difficult, don't slam the door on God. Don't shut God out of your hurt through denial or detachment. Don't allow your trial to separate you from God, but like Job, allow the trial to even draw you closer to God as you genuinely express your confusion, even your anger to God, because God's big enough to take it and a hero is big enough to maintain this kind of authentic communication with God. So first, Job was honest about his suffering. Second, notice that a hero is not surprised by suffering. Verse 21 has Job weeping out this statement of faith. I came into this world with nothing. I will leave this world with nothing. And in this period between life and death, God gives and God takes away. And these words express Job's awareness that life includes loss and that trials should not come as a surprise to anyone. And as a pastor, you know, I get involved with people in many difficult situations in life, and I have noticed a pattern. I've noticed that uh, the people who fall apart spiritually in times of trial tend to be those who didn't expect any hardship because they were operating under this philosophy that God's people are somehow exempt from hardship and suffering and loss and pain, at least the big losses and the big trials. Very often, these people, they might be what you call selective Bible readers. Uh, They're people who only dwell on the parts of the Bible uh, that talk about God's promises of power and strength and deliverance, but they skip over the parts where God says that His promises and His power and His strength and deliverance come in the middle of pain and suffering and hardship and loss. Actually, you know, you don't need to be a selective Bible reader to be surprised when suffering comes along. Uh, I am living proof uh, how you can know what the Bible says about suffering and still be very surprised when it actually happens to you. Uh, Not too many years ago, I went through a time when I was following Jesus, I was serving God, and in the middle of living pretty right, everything in my life went totally wrong. Uh, I had a mini Job experience where uh, every area of my life seemed to be under a black cloud. And 
It was my spiritual life, my family life, my friendships, my job, my health. Everything was a disaster all at the same time. And it, you know what my reaction was? My reaction was shock. I, mean, I, I rang up heaven, you know, saying, I need customer service. <laughs> There's something wrong with my account here. Remember, you know, God, I'm on your side. I'm, uh, I'm on your employees. Uh, it's not supposed to happen. Immediately I started saying to God, are you, are you mad at me? Did, did you abandon me? I mean, did I do something wrong? And it came as a shock to me. But eventually, I understood the truth. That you can be a faithful follower, just like Job, and still have the bottom drop out. The Bible teaches that when I suffer hardship, it's not necessarily a sign that I have sinned or that God is angry. Now, obviously, some suffering can be traced back directly to sinful choices. But... Most categories of hardship are not the result of sin. Uh, When I find a lump that is cancer, when I lose a loved one, when I'm betrayed or victimized in some way, God's Word teaches that these things do not happen to me because I've sinned somewhere special or that God is angry with me and is getting even with me. Psalm 130 says, O Lord, if you were to keep a record of wrong, who could stand? In other words, the Bible teaches that we're all sinners. We sin all the time. And if God were to decide to punish us for our sinfulness, we would all be toast. We would all just be a pair of shoes and a cloud of smoke. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to people who hate God. And bad things happen to people who love God. God's people are not exempt from suffering. And you may think that God missed a great marketing opportunity here. Uh, God, if you just would arrange things so that as soon as people come to Jesus, they would be exempt from suffering, people would flock, flock to you. But God does the opposite of good marketing, right? God has arranged it so that as I decide to follow Jesus, I'm actually opening myself up to more suffering and hardship than the average person. God promises that when I sign up to be his child, I am signing up for some extra pain and hardship. And here's one of the reasons why becoming a Christ follower involves extra adversity. Here's the reason. As soon as I take on God as my best friend, I take on hell as my worst enemy. You know, so far we've only been talking about Job's story on the human level. But one of the things that makes the book of Job so interesting is that in this book, we're given a rare glimpse of the spiritual world, which is unseen and uh, which is a big part of God's story for God's people like me and like you. The book of Job opens in chapter 1, verse 8, with a description of a conversation between God and Satan about Job. And God says to Satan, you know, Satan, you're defeated in a man like Job. He's a faithful man who loves me and hates evil. And Satan says, Job doesn't love you, God. Job loves the things that you give him. Let me take away all the good things that you've given and he'll curse you to his face. He'll hate you as much as I hate you. 
And then in verse 12, God says, all right, Satan, go ahead, take it all away, and we'll see how Job reacts. And so starting in uh, verse 13, we read how Satan arranged for Job's world to fall apart. And then we also read about Job's reaction. Job loved God. And that's the third thing to notice about Job's reaction. A hero loves and trusts God in the midst of suffering. Verse 20, Job lost everything. But yet he fell down before God and worshipped. Verse 21, Job says, May the name of the Lord be praised. You know, when Job tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on his face, said to God, God, even if you take everything away, I still love you. When Job said this, Satan must have screamed with horror and sank into defeat. As long as Job was surrounded by the good life, the world could doubt whether Job loved God for God or just loved God for God's gifts. But Job's suffering made it impossible for anyone on earth, in heaven, or hell to doubt his love for God. And this seems to be one other reason why God does not exempt his people from pain. God wants the kind of relationship with me where I love him for who he is, not just for what he gives me. And so just like Job, you will have trials in life. And in these trials, all heaven and earth watches to see how you're going to respond. Now, if you skip to the last chapter of the book of Job, you'll find out that because Job was uh, uh, was a holder on to uh, God's love, his love for God in the midst of suffering, God rewarded Job with more of everything, including more of himself. But I'll circle back to this in a moment. But before we give the final word to our hero, we need to learn something from the villains in this story. There are some villains in the book of Job. And the thing you need to know about these villains is that they're not evil people. They're ordinary people. These villains are just ordinary people who chose to be on the wrong side of God's story. How? Well, these villains are villains because they chose to hold on to a warped view of God and suffering. The first villain was Job's wife. Uh, We're told in uh, Job chapter 2, verse 9, that Mrs. Job said to her husband, Job, curse God and die. Mrs. Job wasn't exactly a motivational speaker. Uh, You know, I I can't imagine this is the next title of Joel Osteen's book, Curse God and and Die. That would be a a worse seller. Um, These words could not have been very encouraging to Job. But before we get too critical of uh, Job's wife, let's remember that she lost everything too, okay? She lost her home. She lost her kids. She lost everything. But Mrs. Job chose a different reaction to the same suffering than her husband. Uh, Mrs. Job, uh, you know, teaches us something here. We're taught that uh, we don't get to choose our tragedies in life, but we do get to choose our reaction to the tragedies in our life. Job's wife experienced the same trials as Job, but instead of trusting God, she chose 
a warped view of God that led her to reject God and even life. Uh, Mrs. Job demonstrates that we don't get to choose our trials, but we do get to choose our reaction to those trials. And Mrs. Job illustrates another truth, uh, that the reaction I choose affects the people in my life. You can read how Job was negatively affected by his wife's negative words. And uh, along with the other villains that we're going to meet, uh, uh, Mrs. Job's gloomy words uh, led her husband to a measure of disappointment and discouragement and doubt and despair. If I have a warped view of God, my story will have a negative effect on other people's story in my life. Parents, your kids are learning from you how to handle hardship. Your kids are watching you and they're listening to you and they're picking up lifelong habits and attitudes and approaches toward difficulty. Teach them the heroism of honesty and trust with God and they will have blessing in their life. But if you teach them a warped view of God It will be a curse that they have to overcome in their life. When it comes to your reaction to everyday struggles, you can be a hero or a villain to the people in your life. You can be a hero or a villain in your kid's story in their relationship with God. You can be a hero or a villain in your spouse's relationship with God. Determine your heart that you're going to be a positive force in the stories of the people around you in their relationship with God, unlike Job's wife. But she was not the only villain in this story. No, the major villains in this story were the friends who came to comfort Job in his suffering. Their names were uh, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. And just like Job's wife, their warped view of God made them villains in the story. But before they became villains with their words, they were saints with their silence. We're told in Job chapter 2, verse 13, that when these three friends saw Job in his suffering, they wept with Job and they sat in silence with Job for seven days. Seven days in silence. And uh, it was such a beautiful deed that this tradition has remained among God's people. It's called sitting Shiva. Uh, Even today in Jewish culture, when someone loses a loved one, friends come over in a period of a week just to, to sit Shiva. Shiva means seven. And it refers to this beautiful deed of Job's friends. Unfortunately, after those seven days of beautiful silence, Job's friends ruined everything by talking. And boy, did they talk. Uh, If you read the book of Job, you're going to say, when I read these words of these friends, it was really long and it was really boring. It is because it was. Job's friends were not only verbose, they were villainous. They were spewing out lies about God. They said the same thing over and over again. They said that if bad things happen to you, it's because God is angry with you. They said that bad things happen to people, and the reason is it can all be traced back to a God who brings bad things on people to punish them for their sins. Now, some of you are listening to me and thinking, well, what's so wrong about that teaching? You may not find anything wrong with that teaching because 
It is as prevalent today as it was in Job's day. People today generally hold and believe in karma, which means it's just a philosophy where everybody gets what they deserve. Karma says that people who get good things must deserve them. And people who get bad things must deserve bad things. And many people come to church with that same philosophy, except they change it a little bit. They change it into a karma that includes God. And they see God as this deity who gives good things to people who please him and takes away good things from people he doesn't like. And this is a warped view of God. It's a it's a portrayal of God that sees God as small and petty and juvenile. And it's a lie. And it's a lie that takes many different forms. I remember when I was going through my mini Job experience, I had some friends who would see me in my pain and say, cheer up. God has brought this suffering into your life to teach you something. It is a phrase you'll hear a lot in churches. But you know what? It's basically a sophisticated version of the same karma lie. To say, God brought this suffering into your life to teach you something is basically saying, because you were dumb or deficient, God had to teach you a lesson. And this is what Job's friends said to Job. And Job said, no, this is not right. I know that God did not strip my possessions and take my children and afflict me with disease because I didn't love God well enough or I didn't know him well enough. And I remember saying the same thing to my Job comforters, to those who kept saying that my suffering was because God wanted to teach me something. I'd say, let me get this straight. You're saying that I could have been spared two years of being terrorized by a stalker who publicized accusations and lies about me, vandalized my home, attacked my wife, attacked me, threatened me with death until that stalker was caught and arrested. You're saying I could have been spared all of this if I was just a little smarter? Like Job, I say, no, that's not right. And it's a warped view of God. Do you see how this God is teaching you something line is the same thing that that same lie that God brings suffering on people because they deserve it? So please, don't go up to someone who is in some kind of pain or suffering and say, cheer up. God has brought this suffering into your life to teach you something. Don't say it because it makes that person in pain feel terrible. And it's a warped view of God. It's a subtle way of that same lie that Job heard from those three friends. It's the lie that God brings suffering upon people because somehow they deserve it. Don't do it because it's a lie. And what we're going to find out at the end of the book is that God takes people who lie about him and says, I take that very seriously. I take it personally. Which leads us to the end of the book, the conclusion of the book of Job. In the end, God chastises these three friends of Job for telling lies about him. And then God blesses Job for loving and trusting him in the midst of his suffering, which is the final lesson from our hero. 
A hero is rewarded with more of God. At the end of the book, God personally speaks to Job. God rewards our hero. God rewards Job by revealing more of himself to Job. And so in response, Job says of God, My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. See, Job did learn. Job did learn more about God through his suffering. But, mark this, but his learning was not the reason for his trial. It was the reward for his trials. And there's a big difference. The same is true about my mini Job experience. Learning something was not the reason for my suffering, but it was the reward. The reward is a deeper knowledge and love for God. And many of you have gone through suffering and trials. You know this to be true in your own experience. God spoke to Job. But do you know what God did not tell Job? God never told Job why. Never told him why he was suffering. God never told Job about the spiritual backstory, about how Satan wagered that Job would only love God because of his gifts. Job didn't know what we know as the readers of the book. We know that there was a lot writing on Job's reaction to his suffering. We know that God's honor was somehow hanging in the balance. We know that the ripple effects of Job's faithfulness went far beyond his blessing on earth, but also resulted in celebratory shouts in heaven and humiliated screams in hell. Job didn't know all this background. He didn't know that some 4,000 years later, we'd still be encouraged by the story of his faithfulness. So if you are going through some kind of hardship or pain or suffering or anguish today, don't you give up. Don't you stop being faithful to God. Don't you, don't you blink, but you persevere because it matters. There there is so much going on behind the scenes that you don't know about, just like Job didn't know about. And if you're going through some kind of trial right now, you are at a crucial moment in God's story of your life. And your response to your suffering matters more than you could ever imagine or guess. You are part of something cosmic and eternal that goes beyond your wildest dreams. You may ask me, why? Why am I suffering? I don't know why. You may ask me how long the suffering is going to go. I don't know how long it's going to go. But what I do know is that you get to choose your response to your suffering. And your response, the response that you choose, really matters. It matters more than you can imagine. So don't you give up. Don't you let go. Don't you stop. Don't you miss your opportunity to be a hero in God's story.